folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. I'm Shanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Welcome to the post. Oh my gosh, the Lions are even worse than we thought they were. What reaction here on Purple Insider? Matthew Collar, intern Paul. I am in physical pain from watching that football game, Paul. I have seen some pretty bad performances against the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium, but the Lions put Aside from two blocked punts, they put their names right up there in the rafters as teams that came in with the most epic and incredible no-shows. So we will try to balance on this here podcast the good play of the Vikings with the bad play of the Detroit Lions, who should tell their coach to get an Uber and take that back to Michigan. The worst coach in the NFL, I think Adam Gase is a genius compared to Matt Patricia. At least the Jets have the excuse of not having any talent. The same with the Jaguars, the same with the Giants. Their coaches, like, they're bad, but they don't have any talent. The Lions have talent, and that's what they do. They give up almost 500 yards and 34 points and a 70-yard touchdown in which they had 10 men on the field. Incredible stuff from the Detroit Lions. So, Paul, anyway, how are you? I'm good. We're used to seeing these performances at U.S. Bank Stadium, but usually that's with fans in the stands that are rattling the opposing quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, young coaches. Uh, None of that was the case today. It was another silent game. Matt Patricia's been there for a while. Matthew Stafford's been there for a while. He threw three picks. They insisted on handing Adrian Peterson the ball instead of DeAndre Swift or on Johnson. Adrian Peterson, by the way, worst PFF graded running back, but they kept uh handing I it know. off to him so there's what? there's lots of stuff we can get into and we'll just start right there because I think that's that's what you want to talk about you were stuttering with your words as we open this you're just in disbelief of how bad uh the Detroit Lions are so I don't, I don't even know if I have it this is a question but the Lions are just horrific it's just a statement I I don't I don't know what the question is maybe it's how did Matt Patricia survive this long how did the Lions have hype coming into this season how did we not see this how did people not see this coming but just 
just go where you want with this because they they were bad today. Uh, yeah, two picks by Stafford and one by Chase Daniel, who was forced to come in the game late uh, by the Vikings. But the two picks by Stafford, uh, a.k.a. the most overrated quarterback in the NFL. And those two interceptions are exactly why he is the most overrated quarterback in the NFL. Now, at some point during last offseason, someone asked me whether I would take Cousins or Stafford first. And I think I may have said Stafford. And if I did, I take it back. Uh, he is just as much a part of their failures as Matt Patricia is with their defense because Stafford finds a way to get sacked by Shamar Stefan. He finds ways to throw interceptions right to linebackers. I mean, I had a really good view from the press box of the interception he threw to uh, Eric Hendricks in the end zone. It was right into double coverage at the back of the end zone. I have no idea what he saw there. Stafford is a sack and turnover machine. So for every cool throw that he has, like he had one who's kind of backhanded or, you know, he throws a, a laser beam to somebody and you're really impressed. There's an interception. There's a fumble. There's a sack coming. Per 16 games over the last six seasons, Matt Stafford takes 10 more sacks than Kirk Cousins, who we complain about how much he takes sacks. So I take that back if I said that somewhere along the line. Uh, I'm amazed at the national praise for Matt Stafford when he continues to be just this kind of up-and-down 500 type of quarterback who is incredibly overpaid and really not that good and shouldn't scare any team who's going up against Matt Stafford. So there's first. And without his top receiver, he does get a little bit of that. But the Lions couldn't even find a way to get the ball to Marvin Jones, who generally kills the Vikings. And as you mentioned, they decided that one of their game plans was going to be to give the ball to Adrian Peterson a bunch. Nonsense. Just nonsense. DeAndre Swift is fast. He's quick. He shoots through holes. He seems to be able to catch the ball sometimes. Other times he drops it. But he's good. Give him the football, and he was good today. And they had him touch it, I think, 13 times. And Adrian Peterson is getting six handoffs for 20 yards. At one point, they're at the goal line, and they line up Adrian Peterson in the slot and then target him. You've got to be out of your skull. Like, this guy can't play anymore. He's averaged two yards a carry since week two. He's dusted. He's been dusted. He wasn't good the last time we saw him here and has never been good since. And your game plan is to give him the ball? What? And then at at the goal line, third and one, the Vikings have a cornerback named Chris Jones, who I've never heard of before, who was – playing for them today and your plan at the goal line is not to attack Chris Boyd a seventh round special teamer starting or Jeff Gladney who last week got annihilated twice at the goal line by Devontae Adams or Chris whomever you are Jones your plan is to hand it off to Adrian Peterson in a big package in the backfield. That's not a good play with almost every running back in the league, much less the most washed up running back since Emmett Smith played for the Cardinals. Like that's, and that's only the offense, Paul. That's only the offense of how bad the Detroit Lions were today. On the defensive side, as I mentioned, they had 10 men on the field to give up a 70-yard touchdown. They're running zero blitzes with nine men in the box at Delvin Cook. Well, the, Kirk Cousins just stands back there on play action and throws to wide open receivers down the field. 
I mean, the first two touchdown drives, I don't think he got pressured. I don't know if he got pressured the whole game. And then there's one-on-one coverage everywhere for him to throw to. This is the quarterback who can dominate when he has time to throw, when he has one-on-one coverage, when teams play a single safety. And if this was the Tampa Bay Bucks from a few years ago who were horrible, and uh, remember when Case Keenum went off against them, and it was just as bad. It was a game just like this. But you go, well, okay. I mean, the Bucks never see the Vikings. So you could understand how they wouldn't really – game plan properly I guess this is a team that just gave up 141 quarterback rating to Kirk Cousins last year doing the same stuff this is a team that spent a what third overall pick on a corner they spent a bunch of money on the defensive side they signed Jamie Collins they they put everything into this defense and they're an embarrassment and how they keep this man Matt Patricia as their head coach is stunning so Vikings fans here's one thing to keep in mind from this is when you talk about potentially firing Mike Zimmer, remember how bad it can be if you make the wrong coaching hire. It can be that bad, that bad. So if you are a Vikings fan right now today, and you're excited about the potential that the Vikings could make the playoffs still somehow in a magical run, I don't blame you. That's It was a good win. Uh, but you better hope that Matt Patricia doesn't get fired before week 17 because that could be the game. That could be the difference-making game week 17 at Detroit. You want Matt Patricia to be the coach. <sighs> okay. Do you want to talk about the Vikings at all? Because I am just mind-blown <laughs> that this, yeah, this guy continues to be their head coach, and this is how they play. They have a lot of talent on their team, a lot of talent. You go through their roster, and you're like – that should be like a 500 team or a little better. You, I saw, snarked about it on Twitter, how everyone in the offseason looked at their roster and said, hmm, well, they, you know, they've got a chance to win the North. I don't even disagree. Roster-wise, this is a team that has no idea what they're doing with their coach, and uh, I can't believe he's still there. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's that. Let's get to the – we'll get to the Vikings, but I just want to expand on a couple points you brought up there. One thing I was just trying to think about is like, when Mike Zimmer sees that Matt Patricia is the next coach, like on the schedule, like what is he thinking? And the one thing that came to my head is Mike Zimmer is the Yankees and Matt Patricia is the twins when they meet in the playoffs. So when Mike Zimmer starts the week, he's like, Oh, we got the twins in the playoffs. We're the Yankees. We've beaten the crap out of them for years on end. Like this is going to be easy. And then it happens. And then everyone gets super excited about them, and then maybe they don't do anything later, but they beat up on the Twins, they beat up on the Lions, and so this was the perfect game for Mike Zimmer to keep the momentum going, to continue playing the game that he wanted to play, the Dalvin Cook show, the don't really let Kirk do anything. He did a little bit more today, but really not that much meaningful that was more. It was just like stand in the pocket and go to your first read off the play action, and it's probably going to be open because it's the Lions, and then Before we get to the Vikings, you mentioned Matt Stafford in there. And the overall perception of Matt Stafford has always been something that's just been a little bit interesting to me. He started kind of overrated coming out of Georgia. He was the gunslinger. And I think he probably had hype coming out and just in the first couple years, oh, they're bad. And I think we kind of overrated him then. And then he went through a little drought where the Lions were just always irrelevant. and We just didn't talk about them. He may have gotten a little bit underrated. But then after that year last year with Daryl Bevel, he got hurt, and then you saw everything bad that happened to the Lions. People were like, oh, Matt Stafford, Daryl Bevel, they're going to come back. And I think he once again is now overrated because we just saw 
He wasn't very good. There was a lot of talk about, oh, if Chase Daniel has to start this game, it's an easy win for the Vikings because Stafford was on the COVID reserve list for a while. I don't know if it would have, I don't think it would have mattered who was in there after we just, what we just saw. So the fact that Stafford could have moved a Vegas line or done anything to impact this game, we found out wasn't the case. But yeah, if, Unless you've got any other more Detroit thoughts, we'll get to the Vikings. <laughs> okay, so I'll just follow up on that. Uh, yeah, since Matt Patricia took over, at no point have you looked at the Detroit Lions and said, oh, that could be a problem. Every game that they have played, Delvin Cook has destroyed them, and Kirk Cousins has looked either real good or great. I, I wouldn't say that last year in the David Blau game, Cousins lit them up, but it just didn't matter. I mean, they were ahead and David Blau wasn't scoring and that was that. But the game where they got in a shootout with Stafford in Detroit, they played the same defense. I don't know that they changed anything. I I asked Gary Kubiak about it, and uh, he did say that you can never go into a game assuming they're going to play the same defense, and he dropped, like, oh, he's from the Belichick tree. Yeah, that uh, that tree's got some rotten fruit on it that has dropped off the tree, man. That This, like, yeah, okay, I, I think that there have been a few guys, like Brian Flores, who is really good in Miami, and he might turn out to be the best success story off of the Belichick tree. But when these guys who are just wannabe Belichick, Belichick's. They want to build their team like Belichick. They want to be like all oh, hard ass, whatever, crazy, kooky stuff like uh, Joe Judge not taking Golden Tate on the road with them to play Washington because his wife tweeted that he was open last week. I mean, just bizarre stuff that these guys do yelling at a media member for slouching in his chair. It, it makes them look even more ridiculous. And it also makes you think, yeah, I guess Belichick is probably doing all the scheming there. And uh, the defensive coordinator just gets more credit than he deserves. Although in the Super Bowl, right, Patricia got hired still as the head coach of Detroit. In the Super Bowl against Nick Foles, he, his defense got destroyed. And they looked pretty much like they did today against the Vikings. So, all right, yeah, let's get to the things that went well for the Vikings, though, Paul. Well, well, first, they're now at three and five. Uh, their playoff chances before this game were right around 8%, I think, according to Football Insiders. Detroit was right around 14%. I would imagine those are going to, like, basically flip. There's now nine teams ahead, uh, a better than a three and five record, as we're recording this after the noon games on Sunday. So not that many spots to make up, potentially, if they were going to make a run. And I think more than maybe what we can take from this performance or last week's performance is just what they have on the schedule coming up next, because it's Chicago, it's Dallas, it's Carolina, and it's Jacksonville in the next four. So all those very winnable games, I know they go to Soldier Field, but then the next three are all at home. It's going to be Garrett Gilbert, it's going to be a Teddy return, and it's going to be Gardner Minshew, maybe. So suddenly, they're at three and five. It's still not likely, but they're gaining some momentum. It seems like they're going to be able to continue to play the game that they want to play these next couple games because the offenses are bad. So if they can get a lead early, they can do what they've been doing. So is 15% maybe kind of the right spot to be at? Where, assess that and like how how excited should fans get? Should they be hoping for a playoff thing or where 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 are we right now? 
Well, it's very clear to me that this team is not bad enough to be in the running for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or after the way Zach Wilson played against Boise State, a ranked team. So anybody who tweeted me, he hasn't played anybody. Yeah, well, he kicked the ever-loving hell out of Boise State. So now he's played a top 25 team and demolished them, meaning that Zach Wilson will probably be the third overall pick or fourth overall pick, and that makes things very tough for the Vikings. So people who have been doing the skull searching with me, well, if they lost today, I would have said ramp it up to 11 with the skull searching for quarterbacks. But now you might be looking at, if you still want to draft quarterback, guys that are in the mid-first round or trading up or you know whatever else. I think this eliminates a lot of that conversation for now or shelves it. That doesn't mean we'll stop skull searching, though, Paul. It just means that we're going to have to talk about Kyle Trask and we're going to have to talk about Mac Jones and other guys like that. Um, but beyond that point, you're right about the upcoming schedule. Garrett Gilbert uh, could be Jake Luton, who played pretty well against the Houston Texans. Um, I think that I would decide based on – them against Chicago because Chicago is a house of horrors for the Vikings. It always is. Uh, I'll never pick the Vikings to win in Chicago because no matter how bad the bears have been or how good the Vikings have been, they always seem to falter there. And over the summer, you even did research on that that showed the incredible nature of how often the Vikings have lost in Chicago. But I also think too, that the key to the last two wins is that the Vikings offensive line has been legit great. Open holes for Delvin Cook, no pressure whatsoever on Kirk Cousins. And Cousins, when he has no pressure, we've always known this. He can stand back there. He can fire away. He's going to be accurate down the field. He's going to drop it in the bucket 40 yards down the field like he did today a couple of times. That's what he can do when there's no pressure. But going up against Chicago, their defensive line is a completely different story from the last two teams that they've faced. That's a real test. Plus, if you go to four and five and then Chicago only has five wins, all of a sudden, okay, you've got a home game against Chicago coming up after that. And you're hoping that somebody else along the way can falter. Uh, you're right that all of a sudden you went from 13 teams that were behind you to nine as we're talking about this right now, and it looks more realistic. My thing is, if they don't win against Chicago, the dream is more or less over because I don't think they're going to beat the Saints. I don't think they're going to beat Tampa Bay. And there's another loss that's coming. I just don't know where or when. Like, this team still has a lot of flaws. And really, a different interpretation of this game could be wow, you kind of almost gave it away and they just gave it back to you. Like they blocked two punts, but the one could have put Detroit right back in the game. At one point, Stafford is something like 16 for 17 passing. You're not covering anyone. They're, you're missing tackles from Marvin Jones to get into the end zone. They're running the ball effectively when they finally decided to give it to their good young running back as opposed to their bad ancient running back. And the game is close. Like, it seemed like you've outplayed Detroit by a ton, and yet it's 13 to 10 with a minute to go in the second quarter. And then Detroit just says, Delvin, huh? Never heard of him. Why, why would we cover Delvin Cook on a key drive with a minute left? I don't get it. Like, can he do stuff? I don't know. Let's just leave him wide open to run for 30 yards and then 
somehow Amir Abdullah revenge game ends up scoring. It's like watching Kansas on Saturdays, watching the Detroit Lions. I am now calling the Detroit Lions NFL Kansas. Like they just they can't do anything right. Um, but if you kind of go back through that thing with a fine tooth comb, it's like. Yeah, even though you killed them, there were just these different spots in the game where you say, would a good team have taken care of what the Vikings there? Would a good team have made them pay for that? Uh, or even another bad team at some point, do, do we see another Atlanta? Um, so I look at them down the stretch and I say, you've pretty much got to beat Chicago twice. And if you do that, you've got a good shot at it. But the hole that they dug early in the season it's still very, very deep at this moment, even though they're kind of back in that mix. Yeah, and the offensive line did play well. The Detroit Lions, they're like 26th or something in like the pass rush win rate that ESPN does. They're like bottom 15 in the run, the run fit like win rate in the ESPN thing too. So they're just not a very good defense. They're back half by all metrics, but the way the offensive line was playing earlier in the season, the fact that they're dominating anyone is a story. And suddenly I don't, maybe if they hope to try to keep Riley reef throughout um, or like through the next couple seasons, now I kind of see the path. If you like Riley reef, you like Brian O'Neill, Ezra Cleveland looks great at guard. Uh, they've Bradbury's never been a problem in the run game. The whole offensive line statistically is another like top five run blocking team. It's just the pass blocking. But if they have that run blocking and then they're getting a defensive performance like what they got today, that's really all they need. The pass rush won't be as strong. So it, it, it makes sense maybe why they chose to keep Reef only if they feel like they can keep him moving forward or if for some reason they were only going to get a seventh round pick and they'd just rather have him in there to like keep the quarterback safe for this year and let Ezra like continue to grow till he takes over that spot. But yeah, Detroit wasn't a great team, but it's 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 still encouraging to see the offensive line play that the way that it did and yeah I mean I think we have to talk about Dalvin Cook a little bit uh 206 yards after 163 uh last week I was looking up especially because I was watching Adrian Peterson just run the ball I was like I was wondering what the best two-week stretch for Adrian Peterson was it was 366 yards so Dalvin has the best two-game stretch, better than any stretch that Adrian hmm. Peterson had. Adrian Peterson's came in week 14-15 of his historic 2012 MVP season. So, I mean, Dalvin would have to do much, much more. He'd have to go for another, like, 210 yards to match what Peterson did in a three-week span. But in a just a purely two-week span, he's matched him and done just a little bit better. And so that made me think prime Dalvin versus prime AP It's probably still – prime AP, but the way that the league is played now, the way that Dalvin can catch the ball, uh, the way he can just be moved around in offense, it it brought me to this conversation, and I wanted to get your opinion on prime Dalvin, prime AP, especially in an NFL like we have right now. I want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. For all of you hunters out there, Sodastick has some very cool hunting gear available that you need to check out, including their Mick Golden Light hunting club hats that our pal Jeremiah Searles has been wearing lately on his excursions. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to also hook you up with free shipping on your next order. 
Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That is SOTASTICK, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Let me first say that, Vikings fans, you are blessed. Uh, because you think about it this way. In 1998, Randy Moss shows up here and is the most dynamic player maybe in history. I mean, outside of what? Like Gale Sayers? I mean, there there's only Barry Sanders, Gale Sayers, like five players that are in Randy Moss's air in history in terms of excitement and big play possibilities and so forth, right? So you go from him, and then he's gone, and Adrian Peterson comes in, and it's the same sort of thing. I mean, for a little while there, best running back in the NFL or top three at any time, and just a master of breaking huge runs. So Adrian Peterson leaves. The guy you draft in the second round becomes the best running back at running the football in the NFL. Now, he doesn't do what Alvin Kamara does, line up at wide receiver all the time. He doesn't do what Christian McCaffrey does. But neither one of those guys routinely break 70-yard touchdowns like Delvin Cook does on a weekly basis. And a former uh, Viking, J. Ron Curse, was running alongside him trying to catch him on that 70-yard run and was just losing ground without a football in his hands. Like That's how fast the play speed of Delvin Cook is on the field. I don't care what everybody's 40 says. When he's actually on the field, he's one of the fastest players that I have ever seen running with the football. The thing that makes Delvin Cook different than Adrian Peterson, and in my opinion, better, because if you look at their yards per carry now for their careers, it's about the same. Uh, Delvin Cook and Adrian Peterson. Now, Peterson's been dragged down a little bit, um, of course, by the uh, last couple of years. But even in his prime, if you search in his prime, it's not that far away from Delvin Cook's. And the big play potential is exactly the same. But on the second touchdown to Irv Smith, there was a little play action. And Delvin Cook threw his body into a defender and stopped the rush and allowed Kirk Cousins to easily flip the ball to Irv Smith. That is something you just don't see that often from uh, Adrian Peterson or never saw that often from Adrian Peterson. The pass blocking element of it, the fact that he is great in the screen game and has such great open field vision, which I don't know that Adrian Peterson in the passing game had any feel for catching the ball and running after the catch. Even today, uh, you could see it from where I was in the press box. Maybe on TV it didn't really show it, but uh, Adrian Peterson ran a little kind of check down route. And he just let himself get way too far. And as soon as he caught the ball, Jeff Gladney just took him down. Like he was in a good space and then just sort of drifted into a space that was right near a defender and he was easily tackled. Like Dalvin Cook has such a great feel for when he gets the ball, where he's going to go with it in that screen game. And I think that he could even go down the field if they wanted him to, though I, I wouldn't change a thing. So I think that at least right now, which is peak Dalvin, versus peak Adrian Peterson, one of them is a better all-around player than the other, and they're very close in terms of the explosive and big play possibility. I'm not going to say Cook is quite on the level of Peterson as a pure running back, but when you add those other things together, I think it's in that ballpark, and the sample is growing with Cook. Like the, The longevity of Adrian Peterson is going to be a major part of his legacy. It's incredible for running backs. You just don't see it anymore. You probably won't ever see it again. Um, but at least when we're talking about each player at their best, 
Each guy could go the distance on any given play. Each guy can carry his team. I mean, that, that's what Delvin Cook has done these last two weeks. Cousins has been great, and this is the version of Cousins that Mike Zimmer dreamed of, a guy who just makes the throws that he has to make as opposed to having to carry his team on his back and let Delvin Cook run a 70-yard touchdown and run four touchdowns in one game and just be that player. The question is, when you play Chicago, when you play Tampa Bay, these teams with great defensive lines, will this strategy work? It has not really worked in the past, and I'm not certain that it works uh, in the future either. At some point in today's NFL, you have to win by having your quarterback be great, and it has to rest on his shoulders. And if they are going to get into the playoffs, that's going to have to happen. I think they'll still hit some bumps in the road there, and they'll probably end up being something like 7-9. and nine. But Delvin Cook is looking at missing a game and potentially leading the NFL in rushing. I mean, this could be a, a modern historic season for Delvin Cook. Yeah, and the point you made transitions really well into uh, the next question I want to ask is, basically, is this sustainable? I know the Dalvin Cook rushing yards and that stuff's not sustainable, but the way they're winning games right now, the way that they're using the run game, they're really not asking Kirk to do anything. The defense is playing really well. They did it against a team we think is good in Green Bay and a team we pretty much know is bad in the Lions. So it's going to get harder if they were to somehow make the playoffs or for the New Orleans, for the Tampas down the road, when things just get tighter and teams are closer to the playoffs, the Bears are going to be in the hunt. It's going to get tougher next week. And so I just want to know the way that they're playing, is it sustainable? Because everything looked really, really smooth on offense. They basically could do anything they wanted. I don't really remember a time where they had like a negative play. I, I It probably <laughs> happened, but it's amazing. It was, like, it was like every first down, you're giving it to Dalvin. I remember one time they ran it on second and 10 and I was like oh no and then down got like eight yards and I was like okay well maybe that's fine then but just Kirk was standing straight in the pocket it looked like every first read he wanted was open and so it's not gonna be as easy as it was today but is this formula with the current cast of people that they have sustainable for success for the rest of the season well you know I think that this is the team at least this week that we expected more Uh, than the one we saw against Atlanta. Um, We expected a team that would not be perfect defensively. We expected a team that would have an explosive offense and that would be carried by Delvin Cook. And we expected Kirk Cousins to kind of be Kirk Cousins. And, you know, there's a a part of you, if you're a Vikings fan, that should feel, A, kind of encouraged by – Hey, you know, look at Ezra Cleveland, how well he's playing on the offensive line. And finally, good offensive line performances. When have these happened before? But there's another part that should just have regrets. Like, this is a team that, you know, tried Drew Samia at guard for multiple weeks. And he cost them games, I think. I mean, when you go back and look closely, I mean, that's your Kirk Cousins strip sack. That's how many pressures, that's how many runs that are blown up in the backfield in comparison to even Ezra Cleveland. If he's, you know, we'll have to look at the tape to see how good he actually was this week. But I mean, looking like he, he really fills that spot. Even if you had below average play, it would have been much closer to this version of the offense. There's another part of you that has to be a little frustrated with Kirk Cousins too, because it's just so typical. It's so typical of Kirk Cousins to 
win the games he's supposed to win or win the games when Delvin Cook dominates. But when you get behind early in a game against Atlanta, you can't bring the team back. Or when you need a last drive from him against Seattle, your offensive coordinator would prefer to run it on fourth down than put the ball in your hands. And the big games that you needed, you came up short, and now you're having to play from way behind. You led the league in interceptions, and then now you're getting hot and getting those stats back up to where they were supposed to be. There's like a rosy view of, hey, look at this team making some progress in a, hey, this is who you're always going to be with Kirk Cousins. You're always going to beat the uh, Detroit Lions when they have Matt Patricia as their coach, but can you beat the teams that are better? Um, so, you know, I, I do think that where they are right now as a team is vastly better than where they were, but I also think that it's it's stunningly not different from the last few years. The good teams that you played, you didn't really show up. The bad teams that you played, you beat just like last year. And now if you go down the stretch, well, you're probably going to have to beat some good teams to even get in the playoff mix. And that's here we come again with a Kirk Cousins somewhere between seven and nine and nine and seven season. It's just remarkable how it always kind of ends up that way. And I mean, I, I think that, Maybe the right place is somewhere in the middle uh, to be uh, happy about some of the things that they've seen. But also, with uh, there's got to be some frustration when your quarterback leads the league in interceptions through the first you know, five or six games, and then all of a sudden, oh, the light comes on when the pressure is off and the schedule is easy. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if these two games offensively have been like surprising in terms of super positive. Like, we knew Dalvin Cook could do this. Yes, Ezra Cleveland was put in there, and the offensive line looks better. Yes, okay, they got Herb Smith involved today, but it's not like this offense is making huge, amazing strides in these last two weeks to win them games. What it's been has been the defense, and the defense has been able to put them in positive game scripts on offense. So they score right away. They're never trailing in this game. Like, they can run the ball whenever they want. They can. Mike Zimmer can come with a lot more exotic looks on defense, which we saw this week. A lot more like, am I going to blitz? Am I not? I'm going to come back. Like, we're not just sitting in standard cover two. Like, we're going to make you think a little bit more. And so that all comes when you're up, when you can hand the ball off and it Mm -hmm. works well. But it's coming because you're not in shootouts. It's not 7-7. You score, then two minutes later, the defense gives up a huge play. Like, I thought maybe that on the first play of the game, they go deep. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, is someone going to be wide open? Is this going to be another one of those games? I don't remember a huge deep shot that they, like, got consistently that really did much for them. So the defense, we talked about it last week. We asked, is it turning a corner? We said, okay, we're seeing aspects of that. This is what you'd see if they turned a corner. They're turning the corner, and now they're moving upward. Like, this was a building block from last week. They finally got some turnovers to go with some more solid play on third down in the red zone that they had had already this season. And they're building upon that. And so like, where does this rank for Mike Zimmer in terms of what he's been able to do with the defense? Cause at one point I had to look up, there was like, I don't, I don't know his name. It's like Abdullah Anderson or something <laughs> yeah, was in the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, I was looking around going, who's number 66? What in the world? And also Chris Boyd, real- Chris Boyd is looking like a decent corner for a lot of that game. He missed a tackle at one point, but he's flying around. Jeff Gladney's making good plays. Like, Everyone looked good today. Hercules Mata'afa got his first sack. We can talk about his story from the clown emoji to being back on the team to now getting a sack. But it's remarkable what the defense has done without Daniil Hunter, without Anthony Barr, without their corners. Like, this is is 
even though it was Detroit, this this is like big stuff. As an aside, uh, James Lynch not being active over a guy that I'm not sure most of us knew was on the roster. Um, not a great sign for James Lynch, but put that aside. So the way that I would look at this is the Detroit Lions certainly handed you a lot on offense. I mean, they helped you out a lot. And this goes where to um, luck, the schedule, the other teams you play, all plays into how good your defense is and how random defense can be. Because the two Stafford interceptions are both just abysmal. I mean, they're just throwing the football right to a Vikings linebacker. And it's like the Oprah gif where it's like, and you get an interception, you get an interception. I mean, both of those are so bad to be right there in the red zone and just give them away. And that's kind of what Matt Stafford has done his whole career and why he doesn't win more is because there are so many of those where even field goals in those situations keeps the game close and gives you a chance. If you're Detroit, the worst thing is an interception coming away with no points. And he found a way to do it. And I don't know if I want to say, Hey, wow, look at this defense because he wasn't even pressured on either one of those. He dropped right back, stepped up and threw it right to the Vikings player. So some of it is, that you get lucky, you get a little help from the other team. They have a bad strategy of, again, not giving it to DeAndre Swift more, but instead giving it to washed Adrian Peterson quite a bit in that game. And uh, so I think they got a lot of help. And last week against the Packers, I think that 50-mile-an-hour wins were pretty helpful. And no Aaron Jones was pretty helpful. And these are the things that kind of some things fall wrong for you, like Hunter gets hurt or Pierce opts out or a team, you know, catches you when you make a mistake as opposed to dropping the ball. They catch the ball and so forth. You get that kind of thing throughout the course of a season. I don't look at this defense and say, wow, it's vastly better. They've all of a sudden figured it out. Uh, it, they could very well go to Chicago and get lit up by a pathetic Chicago offense because they just don't have a ton of talent on this defensive side. I will say this, that what a good defensive play caller and schematic wizard does for you is elevates this, uh, the floor of how bad you can be as a defense. Uh, so we see on the other side, Matt Patricia, how bad can the Lions be on defense? with about the same or maybe even actually more talent than the Vikings right now, about the same probably. Vikings still have good players, but um, you know they, they spent a bunch of money on guys and draft picks on guys, and uh, an embarrassment. That's how bad it can be when you don't have the right scheme. And for Mike Zimmer, teams get on third down. They get to the red zone, and they struggle, and there's confusion, and he does things pressure-wise that can help you out. And so his adjustments – uh, to the lack of talent or the lack of depth or just injuries and bad breaks and so forth have given them a chance in these games, even if they're not playing particularly well. Like, I don't think that the defense for the first half played well. Um, they got a couple of stops in key situations. That's, again, goes back to what we thought this defense would be. Nobody thought they were going to be a top five defense with the change in talent, but this is what we expected them to look like with just being able to get some key stops and give their offense a chance um, to, you know, to put up 400 plus yards, which they have the talent to do. So I think it goes back to the, you know, Hey, when you talk about Mike Zimmer and hot seats and potentially getting fired and all things like that, just remember today, 
I'm not saying that they're going to win the rest of the way or that everyone will be thrilled with Zimmer at the end. But keep in mind today, because this was an example of two teams similarly in record, similarly in talent, and one blew the doors off the other one. Yeah, and I hear I hear a lot about what you're saying. I don't think we can overemphasize how bad the Lions are, but I don't think we can overemphasize how bad the Vikings defense was early in the season. So the fact that they're just doing this to anyone, regardless of if they're trying to give it away, is improvement. It doesn't mean that they're an elite defense, but it means they're taking advantage of the bad things that an offense is doing, which I don't know if we can say early on. They were letting people get away with bad stuff that they were doing. And something I saw earlier from pro pro football outsiders earlier this week is the Vikings played the toughest schedule of opposing offenses, according to the DVOA that they look at. So the defense has been bad, but they've played a lot of good teams. I mean, part of that is the Vikings contributed to them doing well, but they played a lot of good teams. And now they play two teams that have suspect offenses that have given stuff away and they've played well. And now they're going to go to Chicago. They're going to play the Cowboys. They're going to play Jacksonville. They're going to play these bad teams. And so four weeks from now, we could have maybe three more of these performances and we're going to have to parse through, is this the team that they play and the bad things that they're doing? Or is this defense actually doing something? It's going to be a storyline that we're talking about, but if they take advantage of those things, I think you at least have to say, okay, they're doing what good teams do. They're taking advantage of the bad things that other teams are doing. They're not dropping balls. They're intercepting passes when they're thrown right at them. They are just at least tackling guys. They're not letting guys go 20 yards behind them for easy touchdowns. Like fundamentals seem to starting to be coming into place. They seem to be playing faster despite losing guys. They seem to be playing more cohesive and they seem to be having some communication and they're going to have four weeks to build momentum and to build confidence as a defense to take in with them when they go play Tampa. And so they might not be a good defense at that point, but they're going to be probably a confident defense. And that's going to be, that at least says something and that's going to affect them moving forward because earlier in the season, they weren't a confident defense and you could tell, and they were getting burned because of it. So even if it's a little false, it's like, you don't like, it might not be true. If they feel like it's true, I think it's going to help them. And I think it's going to propel them a little bit moving forward. Even though sports took a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that means hiring is more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gets you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire and with 73 percent of online job seekers visiting indeed each, each month indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need just like they have for over three million businesses right now indeed is offering our listeners a free 75 dollars credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast Try Indeed with $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. 
You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action with Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, and futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Let me give you the cynical view on all of that because you laid out, I think, the rosy view of it. The cynical view of it is if you face a Dallas team that has receivers that get wide open all the time. Even a backup quarterback can beat you. This was a a team that got beat by Matt Moore last year and Chase Daniel last year. So it's always possible that a backup quarterback or not a great quarterback with some good weapons when you have very poor cornerbacks can still sneak up and get you. So I'm not writing W's and elite defensive performances in with all of these weeks because, I mean, I think we even thought – if Chase Daniels starts, they might be able to still move the ball pretty well against this Vikings defense. And when you don't pressure the quarterback, normally they don't throw interceptions right to the linebackers. Normally. That was a Matt Stafford thing today. But when they were not pressuring him early in the game, again, he was like 16 for 17 or 17 for 18. I mean, he was completing every pass to his open receivers. And it took a really good play on the ball uh, on the first play of the game, but they were that was always weird as they came out and attacked on the first play and then they just didn't really do it again throughout the game. But still Stafford was picking them apart, picking them apart. And I think there are going to be a lot of other quarterbacks who could still do that. Here's the other, now that's a small picture is that they still can't get after the quarterback. The bigger picture is this is the path to seven and nine and the path to not getting your quarterback and the path to talking yourself into it, talking yourself into it of, Hey, we're the team that had that great second half of the season. All it was was this, this, and the other thing. Those were the real problems. Once those got solved, once Zimmer schemed his way, then we got it all figured out. And I would direct you to the Atlanta Falcons, who last year I think went 6-2 and down the stretch or something like that. They were great, and they said, you know what? We should keep Dan Quinn. We should keep him around because we had a good second half of the season. And then they came out and had to fire him a couple weeks in. I'm not saying that Zimmer is as poor of a coach as Dan Quinn, who I I think really uh, struggled um, post when they went to the Super Bowl. But at the same time, you shouldn't let small samples talk yourself into it. Look at the whole picture and where you want to go forward. Now, I'm not saying at all that they should fire Zimmer after the year, no matter what happens. I was just saying that I don't think firing Zimmer is, is always a great idea in every scenario that people talk about. Some people just want him fired no matter what. And I I don't really subscribe to that. But when you get that seven and nine, Hey, we were great in the second half of the season. It's the worst place in the world to be because then you don't get a game changer in the draft, but you're also still far away. If we start talking about the number of positions they will still need in order to be a great team, not just a, how can they compete? They still need two more defensive linemen for sure, beyond just getting Hunter and Michael Pierce back. 
Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with Anthony Barr, but the cornerbacks are very much up in the air. We don't know if Jeff Gladney can play. We know that Mike Hughes has injury problems all the time. Uh, Cameron Dantzler, I, I mean, I hope he's okay after the way he got hurt two weeks ago. But at the same time, I mean, not showing anything that makes me say, oh, my gosh, they are all set there. You know, they still have a lot of weaknesses as as a team. And so you can get a little high on things bouncing your way in the second half of the season and talk yourself into it and then end up kind of stuck in the middle, which is where it feels like they ultimately might be. And so I look at this particular win and say, hey, that's a, a whooping that you just laid on the Detroit Lions. But there's also a ripple effect, a butterfly effect of every win that you get against these bad teams that sort of, oh, see, all it is is just all we needed was just and that – might not be the best thing that happens to you. Again, not talking about tanking on purpose, but in connecting it to the Riley Reef non-trade, which came out today, um, that there was a report that the Vikings had a chance to trade Riley Reef to the Tennessee Titans and didn't do it. And it speaks to the theory that they thought they were going to jump back in it. And they are jumping back in it. But you gave up on whatever draft pick that you could have gotten in a year where you're not really competing for the Super Bowl. So there's that push and pull all times of, well, you got to win and a lot of things look good. And, and maybe this guy made progress and this guy didn't, but every win sort of pulls you toward status quo for 2021 and probably not drafting a quarterback. So is that the, the world you want to live in? Um, so what else did, did we miss anything here, Paul? Well, I just want to clarify. Yeah, I didn't, the defense, I'm not saying it's turning and now it's becoming a 20, the 2017 defense. I'm saying this is coming from like a bottom three defense to now, you know, we're like 18 to 20th, maybe like we've come to the point where we're respectable. Teams aren't just going to blow by us and we're going to have to score 45 points to win a game. Uh, I think we're seeing stuff that encourages them that they can be uh, just a slightly below average team instead of being a horrible team. But to make a point off one of your points, like, I think we always knew this was kind of heading for six and 10, seven yep. and nine. Like ever, everything we know, know about this team is this was going to happen. Zimmer wasn't going to let this team just sit down and go three and 13. Kirk was going to have good games to where they weren't going to be three and 13. Dalvin was going to run for 200 yards a game for a game and just win it by himself when maybe they shouldn't. And they were going to win games. Like I was like watching on the red zone channel, like Houston and Jacksonville play like, they're better than both of those teams. So like there's some, there was some awful football being played today. If you were looking around the league for it, the Vikings have shown they're not in that class. I don't think they were ever going to be in that class. I think it was some, for some fans, it was hopeful that it would lead to that, but the Vikings have shown that they aren't going to be the consistent losers that the lions are, that we just saw on the other side. If they were headed for that path, this would have been reversed. We would have seen what the lions just did, but the Vikings would have done it themselves. And I think that's that's the danger, too, is if you fire Mike Zimmer, you're probably not getting a Matt Patricia, but you could have a below-average coach. And you're seeing what the Lions thought a couple years ago. We had Jim Caldwell. The message just got a little stale. We need a new voice in there. We need someone to come help the defense because the offense is going to be fine. And then what happened is is happening in Detroit. So making the change isn't always the best thing. And, yes, getting your future franchise quarterback on a rookie deal is the best thing you could do. But I think we were maybe kidding ourselves a little bit when we thought they could get that low. And after the last couple of weeks, and now we're starting to kind of see it regress to the mean. 
It's well, not going to be as good as it was this week, but it's not going to be as bad as it was in week one or week two. And I totally agree with that. And that was a column that I wrote a few weeks ago about how, you know, they're just never going to be quite bad enough to compete with the Jets of the world. Uh, the Giants, I know, got a win today, but still, they're very, very bad. Um, you've got these other teams that are just abysmal. Jacksonville, they would be lucky to get to three wins this year, I, I think. And you were never going to get to the Justin Fields or the Trevor Lawrence conversation, but it was more of can you get into the top five in a very, very good quarterback class because this is the year to do it. Think about how – go back through, and you look at Zach Wilson and what kind of prospect he's emerging as, and he throws the ball. I am not kidding, like Aaron Rodgers. Like he has that kind of arm talent. Uh, but when you look at past years, it, there hasn't been this many good quarterbacks in the first round. 2018 was supposed to have a bunch of them. Josh Allen has played pretty well. Lamar Jackson has played pretty well. And you've got a couple of busts mixed in. And, and that's usually how it goes. Maybe out of five that are first rounders in a great year, you have two or three that turn out to be franchise quarterbacks. But there are some years where it's what Kyler Murray and nobody else. I was in Buffalo when it was uh, EJ Manuel, Ryan Nassib, Tyler Bray. Like we were talking about Mike Glennon and whether he was a franchise quarterback. The, the years, they vary pretty widely when it comes to how many good quarterbacks are coming out. And it just so happened that the year you start off tremendously bad is a year where there's a lot of really good quarterback prospects coming into the NFL. And it sort of seemed like serendipitous a little bit. And now it looks like, well, you're probably sticking with the same guy going forward and his contract does not open you up to getting rid of him anyway. Um, you know, the Jimmy G idea is something that we'll explore on the podcast at some point this week. Uh, I've got a special guest to do that, but yeah, I mean, if, if you are the type of person, this is what I'm going to say about this game. It, it really depends on who you are and how you look at this team. If you're the type of person who says, I really wanted a refresh of the organization. We only went so far with Zimmer and Cousins, and we'd love to see something new and exciting. Then this win today makes you go, meh. Okay, great. You beat the Lions. Good for you. If you are the type of person that wants to see them make a playoff run and cares you know, cares deeply about every game and uh, wants to see – Zimmer succeed and wants to see Cousins succeed, then this was a great day for you. And that's where the, I think going forward, the fan base will be really split. And where I would love to know is which side the Wilfs land on. Like were the Wilfs at one and five, a little excited potentially about a franchise quarterback and making a change or do they get a win like this today and say, okay, let's go get those playoffs and we'll deal with everything else later. Let's get on a run here. Um, and then, you know, the odds still suggest that you're going to be disappointed. But um, that's that's where this game is most interesting. It's not most interesting on the field. On the field, it was pretty simple. Uh, the Vikings whooped the Lions, who are a joke. Like, there you go. That's the end of the story. Um, but how it's looked at and what it matters for the big perception. I wrote in my column of Cousins versus Stafford, I wrote the winner of this game, their organization might ultimately stick with them. It might be a turning point. And the loser of this game, their organization might move on from them eventually because it might be a turning point. And I think that that's, that's very possible for both sides. So uh, anyway, well, this was great, Paul. Do you have any parting shot? Do you have any uh, final thoughts? Oh, I was just going to say there's a very good chance that they lose to Chicago and then maybe they lose to Dallas and we're right back in this school searching thing. Like yep. 
a top five pick. Uh, the latest PFF uh, mock draft from our friend Mike Renner had Zach Wilson going third. So I think the hype is gaining and the hope could – we need some maybe some Zach Wilson just regression to maybe come back. So if the Vikings do get a top ten pick, he's right in there. Trey Lance was number seven, I believe. So if they get in there, if there's four of them, there's, there's, there's still a chance maybe you could get – nab one of them or come up a few slots to get it but i'm sure we'll have much more school searching and we'll have some segments coming up on those guys in particular to get a little yes, bit more of a we will of yes we will and we've got to add some to the list we've got to get kyle trask analysis in there we've got to get mac jones um there are a couple other guys who have emerged as being pretty interesting ian book gets a big win against clemson he played really well i think he's in that conversation for like mid-round intriguing guy so uh yeah i mean there's still like four months until the draft so we'll have plenty we'll of time yeah. to get there uh paul great stuff as always appreciate your time and thank you all for listening to um a somewhat ranty uh <laughs> and, and then very reasoned podcast we will uh talk to you again soon